I uh, enjoy grocery shopping. That's my confession today. <laughs> I, I, I find it kind of relaxing. Um, I like to browse. I like to go up and down the aisles, look at new products, uh, new packaging. And when, when I'm shopping, there are many times that I'll go to get something, and if the shelf's kind of messy... I start straightening it up. Uh, I, I face the products, uh, is what they call it. And uh, if I see something that's out of place in the store, like it's in the wrong aisle, I'll pick it up and put it in my cart and take it back where it belongs. And I think sometimes people are watching me do this, and then they think I work there. And so they'll ask for assistance. And so I usually just go with it. And I, I'll go, well, I think that's an aisle four. Here, follow me. And off we go. Or let me go find out the answer to that. And I'll go up front and go, have we ordered new such and such? And they're like, do you work here? You know, it's like, no, there's a lady back in the aisle that wants some help. So I just, um, I think it all tracks back to the years that I worked in groceries. Uh, my mom and dad owned a grocery store when I was a kid. And then I was a cashier at Kroger's uh, through high school, and I was a night crew manager through college. And so it may explain kind of my love for grocery shopping, I, I think, is it's just kind of in the blood. And um, I remember a couple, couple years ago, in fact, it was several years ago, I went to the grocery store, and I had my list in hand, and I, most of the time I do the grocery shopping. And so I was in the store, and it was kind of busy, and... Actually, it was terribly busy, and I got my cart all filled and headed to the front of the store. I got in line, and then partway, I I realized I didn't have my wallet with me. And so I talked to the checker and asked if I could just leave my groceries in the aisle next, next to him, and I headed home to get my wallet. And so when I got back, I went to try and find my cart, and it wasn't there. And after some investigation, what we found out was one of the baggers had started taking and putting everything back on the shelf. So I'll admit to you, at this point, I was okay. I was all right. I thought, okay, start again. It was so much fun the first time. I'm sure it'll be a blast the second time. And so about the time that I started, I realized I didn't have my shopping list. It was in the car. So I headed out to the car to get the shopping list, and it starts pouring down rain, okay? And so I get back in the store. I'm a bit wet, and I believe this is when it started to kind of unroll on me uh, to get the best of me. I got everything on my list, got back up to the front of the store, and I waited, and I waited, and I waited. You get the idea, right? I finally get all my stuff unloaded on the belt, and the cashier goes, my register's broke. I'm feeling like Charlie Brown now at this point. And so we move everything, and I can't remember if it was the next aisle or a couple aisles down, but we load everything in the bass cart, take it, take it over, unload it again, and she gets done ringing everything up, and... I hand her my debit card, and she goes, I'm sorry, our card machines aren't working. 
they had put new card machines in the store. And this is about the time that debit was kind of a new thing, so that'll tell you how long ago it was. And so I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I, I don't have my checkbook with me. This is not cool. And so she finished ringing everything out, and uh, she said, you know what, I'll put it in the lane next to me. And so I headed back home again. Get my checkbook. And I come back. And when I return this time, not only are my groceries not there, but the checker's not there. So I finally found the checker. She was on break and talked to her in the back room. Never did find my groceries, okay? So third time's a charm, all right? I didn't need my list. (laughs) Had it all memorized. I finally got out of the store. Now, can you imagine my state of mind at this? I mean, third go around, all right? I finally, I just, I get to the car, unload everything, or, you know, put it in the car, and I just collapse in the car. I'm frustrated. I'm thinking bad words. Yes, I'm wanting to say bad words. I'm just ready to get home. And then I hear... And I look over, and and there's an elderly lady, and her car's not starting. It's raining. In fact, it's drizzling at this point. It's cold. I've got a bad attitude. I know it's hard to believe, but I've got a really bad attitude. I'm thinking the absolute worst of everyone. And, And so in my mind, I'm figuring, if I don't help her... I'm probably going to keep her from hitting the gambling boat or robbing a bank or something like that. And I'm kind of watching the situation. And God just brings to mind, it was a verse that I had read earlier in the week as part of my devotions. And I had just read it before. But this time it's biting me. And it's the verse on the screen that says, Your own soul is nourished when you're kind, but you destroy yourself when you're cruel. And it was like God was saying, you know, Damon, you need to think about that verse. The the bulk of your afternoon has been a bust. You stood in line several times. You lost your groceries a couple times. Actually, a bunch of times. You know, God's kind of a comedian at this point in my, in my mind. This has not been a good day. You, you could offset a bunch of frustration by getting out of your car and blessing this woman. It could be if you did something, something good will come about. Why don't you see what happens? Now, I'll be honest with you. Half of me is thinking, I do not think so. (laughs) All right? I'm not the only one that thinks that way, right? But there was another half of me that was thinking, maybe I will. And I sat there for a little bit. And I finally, I got out of the car. I went over and knocked on her window 
I said, I think your battery's dead. She said, I think I left my lights on. And so I got jumper cables, got her car started. And I remember that day. And I remember that moment because the moment I sat down in the car, it was like a a wave of warmth came over me. And and I know it sounds a little mystical, but it was like a wave of well-being swept over me. All the, the frustration and the anxiety that had filled my heart most of that afternoon or for the last several hours, for the first time, I felt good. You know, we're in this series, Dangerous, and we're talking about developing a dangerous faith, a a dangerous love. As Christians, last week David talked about having a dangerous heart. And today I want to talk about something that, that goes along the lines of the heart, and that is a dangerous attitude in life. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 7, he says, Indeed, The more your faith, your ability to speak, your knowledge, your dedication, and your love for us increases, the more we want to participate in this work of God's kindness. Friends, as Christians, we are called not only to lead holy lives, in other words, not only to be good people, but we are called to make a difference in this world by acts of kindness and goodness. And what I want us to understand is that proverb, Proverbs eleven seventeen, that what it says is true, that it feels good to do good, that our soul is nourished when we do good. And that that should not be the only motivation But when we take the opportunity to do good in this world, when when we take that step in our lives, that we will experience that refreshing nourishment to the soul. And it starts when you're young. It starts when you're young. I I can remember numerous times when my girls were little and uh, we would be about something and I remember one one winter I had been out I was shoveling the snow and I'd got our drive done and the lady down the street she was recovering from surgery and so I went in and I got the kids and I said we're going to go scoop snow now they went under protest okay that's the way kids are and we headed down the street and they grumbled and they complained And at first, I mean, they were griping and complaining. Every time we'd take a scoop of the snow, they're like, Dad, we're going to freeze to death out here. And if we die out here, it's your fault, you know. I said, well, so be it, you know. About halfway through, they kind of quieted down. And, And by the end of it, changed. I mean, I remember us having a snowball fight, coming home, and I remember them saying, you know, Dad, that was fun. It felt good. 
No, uh, about a month ago, we had a, a group from here that went and volunteered at Love Packages and spent, spent the afternoon helping. They were working in a shed, cold concrete, sorting Christian literature to send all around the world. And I remember talking to a few people that went that day, that talked to them that Sunday, and I heard very similar things. They're like, man, I'm sore, but it felt good. I'm a little tired. I didn't get to sleep in yesterday, but it was great. You see, when you do good, it feels good. Why, why is that? Why is that? I mean, I, I think there are many reasons, but maybe the most uh, vital of those reasons is we are made in the image of God. You are made in the image of God. And Scripture tells us that God by nature is good. God delights in goodness. God has been doing goodness throughout history. And being made in the image of God means that we have this high goodness potential in us. We have this enormous capacity for, for doing good because we are created in God's image. And every time that we engage in an act of goodness, God smiles. God, God affirms us in that. Now you're doing what I created you to do. Now you're doing what I dreamed that you would do. Now you're doing what I love to do. Spreading goodness. That's why Paul, Paul writes in Ephesians 2.10, he says, For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do what? Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Do you see why doing good feels good? Because when we are doing it, when we are, are doing an act of kindness or goodness, we are accurately reflecting the image of God. All of a sudden, there, there's this high level of uh, congruency between God and us, that, that connection. You may be thinking, okay, let's go out and do good. Well, the writer of Proverbs would say, you've got to be careful with this. You can't just go out and do good indiscriminately. In fact, You've got to be very strategic in that. You don't, you don't just run out and do stuff because what could happen is you could hurt yourself. You, you could hurt others in the process. In fact, here's a good rule for us. Do not withhold good from those to whom it's due when it's in your power to do it. And we're going to kind of center around this because this is a litmus test. And... We're going to talk about, okay, so what are some guidelines for doing good? So, so we don't hurt ourselves, so we don't hurt other people, so that we are good stewards with the goodness that we have. And the fact is, we only have a certain amount of goodness that we can spread around. And so you've got to begin to be very strategic with it, to think it through. See, it says, there are people for whom goodness is due. The verse would imply, if you, if you think about the other side of that, is there are people for whom goodness is not due. I want you to think for a moment. Can you think of a situation where withholding goodness 
would be wiser than manifesting goodness. You know, the first century church, they decided to establish a food pantry. And they started just giving food out everywhere. And so what happened was a lot of able-bodied men and women saw the church as kind of an easy ticket. And so what they did, they quit their jobs. They said, let's live off the goodness of the church. It's exactly what happened. If you read the, the scriptures, Paul writes this and kind of takes it on. He says, for even when we were with you, we gave you this command. Anyone unwilling to work should not eat. For we hear that some of you are living in idleness, mere busybodies, not doing any work. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Brothers and sisters, do not be weary in doing what is right. You see, the Bible, the Bible teaches that there are those to whom goodness is due and there are those to whom goodness is not due. That we've got to be careful of people that want to take advantage of goodness. You ever had that experience? In fact, that can burn you. God says, don't, don't squander it. Don't squander it. And kind of on the heels of that is Scripture saying, be, be careful when you're doing goodness that you don't create an unhealthy dependency. You ever seen that? People think they're doing good, but they create, they create this uh, dependency that's this, it's just it's unhealthy. It's an unhealthy dependency. And we struggle. We struggle with that. We should be careful on that front. Proverbs 16.26 says, The appetite of the worker works for them. Their hunger urges them on. What's that saying? It says, you know, any uh, goodness that would diminish a person's motivation to, to work hard or to provide for themselves is misspent. It's, it kind of has an undermining effect. I've said this before, but, you know, parents, parents, listen up on this one. Because you should teach your kids to have an appetite to work hard, to be diligent. In fact, you've got to be careful not to over-provide. True? Isn't that, isn't that a challenge as parents? I remember when uh, Stacy. She was uh, just getting ready to go into high school. And Cindy and I figured at that point she was mature enough to understand finances and money management. And so we began kind of allotting money to her instead of just giving, giving her and doing whatever. And we also started allowing her to earn part of her way, so to speak. And what we did, we figured out a budget for her, for her clothing and uh, lunches and the things that, you know, cost. And what we did was I would look and I'd go, okay, this is the ugliest, cheapest, lousiest pair of tennis shoes that you can buy. They're $2.99, and that's what I'm going to buy you. You want the Nikes. They're $75, and so you need to come up with $72. I mean, that's what my daughter would tell you we did. We didn't do that, but that was kind of her... her uh, vision of it we actually set a reasonable budget for her because 
what we wanted her to learn was that earning money wasn't just for extras, that it was part of maintaining and, and having. It's easy to overprovide, isn't it? And you just take the appetite away. Along the same lines, I had a professor, Ray Bakke, um, just a tremendous uh, man, did a, did a lot of work specifically in world missions. But I remember him saying he worked with relief operations all around the world. And he said, be very, very careful how you get involved in relief operations. Because he said studies had, had shown that as soon as planes start landing, like they'd have a poverty-stricken area, and so food would start coming in. And what would happen, as soon as the plane started landing, local farmers would go, we don't have to do this anymore. And he said, in short order, what happened was the whole economy would just collapse. Now, we're not talking about, like recently we did, did work with Japan, We're not talking about catastrophes where churches step in, but areas that are struggling and and just the damage. And I think, you know, that's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, how do you know? How do you know? I know parents that um, they set up uh, huge um, trusts for kids. And they mean it for good. They mean it for good, but what happens is that it goes sour many times. I mean, that thing that we think is so good, you you really have to think out. And that's what I'm wanting us to to think about, is the Bible says don't do good when it's going to diminish motivation, when it's going to undermine responsibility, because that kind of goodness actually does harm. And then Scripture kind of gives another uh, caution on this and that is spreading goodness and this one comes straight from Jesus's lips he writes Luke uh, records the story says then he turned to the host Jesus is talking the next time you put on a dinner don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors the kind of people who will return the favor invite some people who never get invited out the misfits the wrong side of the tracks you'll you'll be an experience of blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. What do you think Jesus is talking about there? See, I, I think that Jesus is pressing the, the kind of self, uh, in, the, the self-centered uh, acts of, of graciousness that... Really, do you know how this goes? I pat you on your back, and what do you do? You pat me on mine. In fact, I expect that when I do what I'm going to do. And Jesus is saying, you know, you can't be really careful with the things that we call goodness because sometimes it's not really all that good. That It's a little, uh, um, we deceive ourselves, you know. Look at all the good I do. And Jesus says, mm, you might want to check the motivation here. You might, might want to look into it a little bit deeper because sometimes 
upon closer analysis, what we say is goodness is really motivated by what we hope to receive. You know, if we're honest, uh, and probably this is true more than we want to admit, just says you got to be careful because what you might find is that you do good and you're hoping to get something in return. And that's kind of an exchange program. In fact, it doesn't have much to do with true goodness. I've seen it all all the time. I mean, you know, hey, I'll invite so-and-so over for dinner. And inside, what we hope is that they'll invite us over for dinner. Or, you know, I'll do this for them. And maybe, say in the back of the mind, they'll do this for me. And don't misunderstand me. It's okay. Have dinner parties. It's, it's great. You know, do things for one another. But kind of put a check on it because it just says it's okay. Throw the parties. Do stuff for friends. But be careful into thinking that that is doing goodness because that's just friends being friends. It's just how the, the world operates. But you want to know how to do a goodness? You want to have a dinner? Go downtown. Find four homeless people. Bring them over for dinner. And Jesus says, that hits the bullseye. Because there's nothing to be gained in that. Random acts of goodness should not be so random. Random acts of goodness, they ought to instead be very strategic. They ought to be thought out. We we ought to sit down and plot our way through to make sure that one, we're, we're not facilitating a laziness. We're not creating an unhealthy dependency. That our, our goodness isn't just an exchange program, but that we become very wise and discerning about doing goodness. And that's exactly what the writer of Proverbs was pushing at and asking you and me to, to do is to think it back, think through it. You know, Proverbs 3.27, again, do not withhold goodness from those to whom it's due. See, some it's due, some it's not due. You've got to discern that. That's the challenge. But here's the focus on the second part. Read it with me. When it's in your power to do it. And what's that suggesting? I think there, there are two ways we can look at this. One is the obvious way. When you have the power to do good in this world, you should do it. You can't shrink back. You can't get lazy. You can't turn the other way. If a goodness opportunity passes that litmus test, so to speak, and God has given you the wherewithal to meet that need, you need to do it. That's what the scriptures say. You were created to do it. That is what being made in the image of God means. That's what it calls us to. You know, the Holy Spirit prompts us. You know, that is what will fill our hearts. That will, is what will nourish our souls. Can you imagine if 311 million Americans were doing goodness 
in this world that's in their power to do, can you imagine what it would be like in this country? I mean, can you imagine if 6.8 billion people on this planet were committed to doing goodness every time they had the opportunity to do goodness? Can you imagine doing good when it's in your power to do good? Can you imagine what this world would be like? Can you imagine what our community would be like? I mean, when it is in our power to do it and we fumble and we don't follow through, we miss a God-given opportunity, and it is God-given. And it's an opportunity that you will never, ever have again. Never. If I hadn't helped that woman at that store that day, opportunity gone. World, this world is counting on you. God is counting on you. Others are counting on you. If it's in your power to do good, you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to come through. It is a God given opportunity. And here's the other implication here that we are to only feel obligated to do good when, in fact, it's in our power to do good. In other words, the, the writer's saying sometimes, in fact, quite often, actually, it is not in your power to do good, at least not in a direct way. You know, in other words, you do not have the wherewithal to do it. You lack the knowledge or the skill or the opportunity or, or the time or the resources. And in that case, Scripture would say, do not torment yourself. Do not feel like you're failing a, a needy world. And, and I, I kind of bring that up because here, here's what um, bothers me. Is I know a lot of good-hearted people who kind of live with this never-enough cloud hanging over their head. You know, they, this cloud where they, they're, they're people who are filled They are filled with the goodness of God. And they do goodness. They see situations and they're doing goodness here and they're doing goodness there. And instead of their hearts being filled up, you know, God smiles at them. Instead of it nourishing the soul, what happens is about 30 seconds after they do that act of goodness, they start beating themselves up because they feel like, oh, I should do more, I should do more. And it just never, never gets there for them. And, you know, and if you're that person, you know, you've got to learn. You've got to learn to say, you know what, you can't do everything. You can't do everything. You cannot respond to every need, every request, every situation. And in fact, you've got to come to a point where you, you just you do what you can do. But you can't do it all. You know, Scripture says you're accountable to do goodness when it's in your power to do goodness. And at some point you have to say, you know what, I've got to lift a prayer. I've got to be a voice. And to remember this, that God's 
people. God's family's huge. God's resources are unlimited. And maybe somebody else has got to step in and do what you can't do. And you just got to put it in God's hands. Most of us, that's not our battle. All right? You know, the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's in the New Testament. It's a good, good read, but it's all about doing goodness. And you've got this guy that gets robbed and he gets beaten. And they take everything from him and they leave him to die in the ditch. And Jesus says a, a priest comes traveling through. And he sees the man dying in the ditch. And he goes to the opposite side of the road and passes by. Ouch. That one hurts me. A Levite, he sees the man laying in the ditch. He does the same thing. He just cruises by. Doesn't stop. But then the Samaritan, the Samaritan stops. And he, and he helps the man. In fact, he brings him to an inn and he drops him off and he goes on his business trip and he says, you know what, I'll come back and I'll pay for whatever on this. Just take care of him. He just says, that's how we ought to respond. And it's interesting, if you read that story carefully, there are some boundaries built in. I mean, you look at what the Samaritan did for the man and you look at what he didn't do. For the guy. I mean, he didn't cancel his trip. I don't know. He was on a business trip. I'm going to assume, you know, maybe maybe he wasn't in a position to cancel. Maybe the guy would have lost his job if he had called in and said, look, i got to take care of this guy. Can't, can't come in. Don't really know. But we know that he went on the trip. We, we know that he didn't bring him into his home. We know that he didn't adopt him. He didn't uh, leave his inheritance to the guy. He didn't give him his visa and go, here, have fun, whatever you want. He, he didn't do that. But what he did was he did the goodness that he was in his power to do. And I think what Scripture is pressing us here, and what I want us to think about as a church, that as a Christian... As a Christian, we are to be filled with the goodness of God. In other words, we're to have dangerous hearts, which result in a dangerous attitude. An attitude that that says, you know what, I'm going to do whatever I can do that's in my power to do, but I'm not going to do it all. I can't do it all. You know, Scripture's trying, trying to press us, say, you know what, you have this dangerous heart, it results in this dangerous attitude, and I am going to be ready to do good for whom it is due according to the power I have to do it. No more, no less. And when I do that, goodness flows. Joyfully. You know, goodness flows in a discerning way. It's careful where it goes. You know, Galatians says, let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. We live in a world that is self-centered. 
Have you figured that out lately? Oh, it is self-centered. In fact, I would argue that a great deal of the societal problems, the, 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 the falling apart of, as we've watched in our country, tracks back to this one. Self-centered. The, this meistic mentality that is devouring a generation, and a society. And I believe if we're not careful, the temptation as Christians is to become self-absorbed, to become very cynical when we look at the world. And, and so what happens is we look out in the world, we, we see an opportunity where God is calling us to do something, and in our minds we go... Oh, what's the use? The world's a mess. You know, forget it. Who cares? I can't make a difference. And, you know, who knows? And, you know, I'm not willing to do that. And what we do is we head to the other side of the road. I'll set this one out. Good luck over in the ditch there. Friends, when I see someone who used to do good, and they're not doing good anymore because they got burned, maybe didn't figure out where the lines were. Here's what I know about them. The hearts get really small. When I see someone that's spirit isn't like it used to be, they'd look and see someone in the ditch and go, you know, I, I can do something. And they just walk on the other side. I know they're all shriveled up inside. And if you're not careful, life gets reduced. And we become the center of our universe, self-centered. It's about me. It's about me. It's about my petty projects. It's about me. Friends, when you see an opportunity, a God-given opportunity to do good, and you head to the other side, and you have the power to do something, that is not the attitude of a Christian. It's not the heart of a Christian. Our, Our hearts, our attitudes should should always be expanding and growing over time. In fact, I I believe you become more and more generous. You become more and more willing because part of it, you you get the, you learn. You learn and you go, "I I can go into this ditch and help this person. I can't go into this ditch and help, but I can't hear. Where's your goodness at? You know, I believe as Christians, you have to come to a point where you decide ahead of time that I'm not going to lose heart. I'm not going to lose heart. I'm going to develop an attitude that I will do good when I can do good. And when I'm given that opportunity, when it's in my power, I'm going to step in from now until the day I die. 
And I believe if you develop that kind of dangerous attitude and you stay at it over the long haul, it fills your heart. It blesses your life. It gives you strength. You know, and you... But otherwise you shrivel up. I think one of the most moving passages in, in Scripture, and it's along the same lines. Uh, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, but it's when Jesus was talking to his followers. and He says, I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you, you gave me something to drink. And I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I, I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison, and you, you visited me. And they're like, why did we do that? I, I don't remember doing that. And he says, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In God's economy, when you do goodness for anyone, anyone, lady in the parking lot, Don't even know her name. But God says, it's like you're doing it for me. That's how it gets registered in heaven. So how about it, Faith Fellowship? I mean, I I think we should covenant together to, to have dangerous hearts. To have a dangerous attitude. That says, you know what, I will do goodness. As God gives me the opportunity, as God gives me the ability to do that, if it's in my power, I'm going to walk and I'm going to get in the ditch. I'm going to live dangerous for God. I mean, what do you think on that one? Isn't that the kind of church we want to be? Isn't that the kind of people we want to be? You know, when I say goodbye to this world, I hope there are people that go, you know what? You did goodness. did something good in my life. Made a difference. I believe that's what we're called to as Christians. To live, to be. And it's an attitude. It's an attitude for living. You either have it or you don't. So, let's, let's stand for a word of prayer together. Our holy God, we praise you. We thank you. You have created fearfully and wonderfully. God, I pray that we'd allow you to move through our hearts that we'd develop an attitude that we would always have the radar up. We'd look around us in our neighborhoods. Maybe we're just sitting in a parking lot one day. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's at school. Maybe it's here right now. But God, that you would just instill in us a passion to make a difference in this world, to extend goodness and kindness to be your hands, your feet, your voice, 
your ears, whatever. God, I pray that this church would, the community talks about it when people around the world speak of faith fellowship, that we'd be known for having a heart for you. God, help us to make a difference in this world. Help us to extend your love and your grace. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.